0: hmm amazing it's absolutely amazing but under the right circumstances a producer could make more money with a flop than he could with a hit
1: mm. yes it's quite possible welcome to the nfc least show so show about everything and ugly in the nfc east did i get that right <laughs> it's been like it's you been did. like a couple weeks
0: <laughs> the look of confusion on your face as you were like just in panic mode like oh god like, what, is this? <laughs> Dude,
1: what, what do i usually say all right uh my name is sean raftery i'm here with sean williams what's up buddy <laughs> not much
0: feeling pretty good
1: we see each other We see each other now for the first time. The the program we use got video chat.
0: We both look like slobs, so it's good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. A lot has happened since the last time we talked. In fact, it's been like two weeks of Williams and I texting each other, being like, do we want to talk now? Do we want to talk now? And we finally just got around to like doing this episode. The Eagles have been a dumpster fire for the past two months. There's a lot that's happened. We're going to run through that. And I think we also want to give the rest of the team some time and just kind of do an early off-season check-in with all of our lovely friends in the NFC East. So let's just jump right in. Let's talk about the Eagles. Uh, I believe the last time we talked, uh, Peterson had already been fired, but none of the rest of these off-season moves has happened yet. Um, But since we last talked, Nick Sirianni, former uh colts offensive coordinator uh frank reich understudy is hired as edge coach there's a bit of rumbling like hey that could be a wentz friendly hire turns out it wasn't wentz gets traded to the very team we poached sirianni from the indianapolis colts um a few weeks later we have veterans getting cut like alshon jeffrey Deshaun jackson it really does seem like the Eagles are trying to turn a page and get younger. Uh, the only vets they're keeping seem to be the stalwarts on both the offensive and defensive line. Um, I mean, I feel like fans have wanted a blank slate season, but now we're faced with the uncertainty of a of a blank slate season, and I don't really know what to make any of this. I guess Williams, like, what from like the outsider point of view, are you seeing from all this movement right now?
0: Yeah, I think the weird cognitive dissonance is that it should be a blank slate season, but the guy in charge, Howie Roseman, hasn't changed. So you have this odd and unusual situation in the NFL where you're kind of clearly in a rebuilding mode, but the person who's rebuilding the team is also the person who got you in this position in the first place.
1: Yeah. it's a uh... am I- a little disappointed by that, and I think we can... I think we can draw a pretty clear line of accountability uh back to the owner for this. What I see from 2017 onward is a failure to uh build upon that lightning in the bottle in a sustainable way. And it starts for me at the top with the culture and who is responsible for building that culture and making sure that we're acquiring players that fit that culture, that are ready to step up when older vets. Uh, cycle out and for me like I don't I just fail to see how Roseman was not the more accountable party for this mess and if he isn't or is perceived by ownership that he isn't then how culpable can the owner be for how bad things have gotten and there are a few things I think you can even point at to like why Lurie is more directly responsible for how the past few years have gone, um, little than any of the people he hired.
0: Yeah. I want to hear your kind of grand, grand theory, if you can
1: dig into that. So to me, I see a few patterns consistently in, uh, jeff Lurie's stewardship of the franchise and i think i think commonly uh jeff Lurie as an owner is viewed very positively in philadelphia by comparison to previous cycles of ownership and just the history of franchise in general i think that's a fair uh that's a fair conclusion to come to on him just in comparison to what this franchise has dealt with in the past but yeah
0: I and, think, and what the division has been in the meantime. Yeah. You know, I think if you look at, okay, which, which team has had the most success over the last 20 years, it's pretty clearly far and away the Eagles. The Giants have one more Super Bowl, but they've had a lot of bad teams, um, and they never had the streak of dominance that the early 2000s Eagles had.
1: Yeah. But I guess where I kind of deviate from that, right, is w- what's your benchmark? Is your benchmark previous eras of uh, mediocrity or is it the best franchises in the NFL? And to me, if you're benchmarking Jeffrey Lurie and his stewardship of the franchise compared to uh, pretty much all of the blue chip kind of franchises in the NFL over the past like 20 to 30 years, let's say your Patriots, your Steelers, it it's good, but it's not great. And there's a few disturbing trends that I've seen come up. One is, I'm terming it as the inability to deal with uh, star players or egos or anyone who has like a like a like a bigger than the franchise sort of view on themselves. It, they specifically, I think that Wentz fell into that trap. Um, I think that Chip Kelly fell into that trap, and I think Terrell Owens fell into that trap. And it's kind of one of these repeated patterns where after one season of above expectation success for each of these three kind of egos, right? Jeff Lurie is like very eager to give over the keys to the franchise and and build up these like very personal intertwined relationships with these people that ultimately ends up coming back to bite him when it fucks the power structure in the organization, you know? And for me, it's like, I think those are the egos that when integrated into a culture are what elevates a franchise and a team to being like potential dynastic success versus being like a lightning in the bottle, good playoff team, and then potentially a great team on a run in any given year. Right. I look at players like Tom Brady. I don't really see like, I, I don't really see how that ego is any different than how Wentz thought of himself, mm-hmm. uh, after one season, right? Like I think if you look at Tom Brady in 2001, 2002, he probably carries himself a lot similarly to how Carson Wentz is reported to have treated or carried himself in, right. in, in, 2018, 2019. Right. The problem to me isn't necessarily how Carson was as an individual it's how the culture around Carson enabled that personality to become toxic, and I and I yeah. and, it, and it's concerning to me because I don't necessarily think it's a a lightning in the bottle just Carson problem. When we've seen it, like I've said, occur other times with coaches and other star players. Um, I, I know that Chip gets a bad rep, and I certainly did not want him in Philly when things went went south, but like you have to wonder how much was Chip's lack of success in Philly a byproduct of how he was validated as basically being the next Belichick immediately after one ten and sex season by Jeff Lurie, you know, and how much additional power and reins and personnel control he gave Chip after comparatively very little success, right? When Bill Belichick didn't even earn the reins he had over the Patriots franchise until he got I think even like Ring 2 is probably when he started entrenching himself as Bill Belichick, you know? I was going to say,
0: I think the the Philly media has plays a part in that, but it's only enabled by what I view as maybe laxity on the part of Eagles staff to leak things to the media, or there are clearly fractures in the Eagles camp that that kind of spur because we all know how diehard equals fans are how voracious they'll eat up any tidbit of drama or what have you that stuff can inflame quickly and you better believe players are looking at that stuff too um it kind of in a way reminds me it's it's a little more uh dispersed than what happens with jerry in dallas but it's a similar idea where like any little talking point can be taken the wrong way or, or or kind of spun out of control and then suddenly it becomes like a real tangible problem not just a Hypothetical on the radio, yeah. I think the uh, I think the Giants do a good job of avoiding this as because maybe as far as I can tell, the entire team is run by one family, like literally. I don't know if like yeah. I think yeah. it's just a bunch of cousins who don't talk to the media, and so <laughs> they're like, I don't think they're very bright, but they are unified. A very uh, a very
1: North Jersey way of approaching this problem. <laughs> right. right, keep it in hey. the family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: You say something to the media.
1: <laughs> we don't need the Star uh, Ledger knowing what we're doing with Geno Smith next year. That's uh, for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, but it just feels like a different, uh a, kind of a different atmosphere. And I do think, yeah, you know, I, I, I I think when that when that transcends coaching staffs and players and general managers, then you do have to say, okay, what is the common denominator? Why is there always some element of drama around this team
1: yeah and and for me i I totally hear you, and I do think the media plays a role in uh in how these narratives blow up and how they become toxic and how they become something that requires action, right, but you have to wonder like like where does the media get get its power? The media gets its yeah, power 100%. from information, and where does the media get its information? you know what I mean like there theres
0: yeah. I'm not blaming the media. Yeah. I think yeah. the New York yeah. media, like, if the New York media could say this kind of stuff about the Giants, you better believe they would. The Giants yeah. are worse than the Eagles, usually. Uh, and I, I think the New York media is just as vicious. But I think it does – what you're insinuating, I think, is that it, it does come from a lack of discipline on the part of the higher-ups and the powers that be within the Eagles organization and kind of what they're feeding um, you know, these reporters.
1: I I think the most compelling bit of evidence is something that I I went ahead and pulled um, just for comparison's sake. And I think it's a question worth asking is how much of Lurie's perceived success as steward of the Eagles as a franchise is his ability to be a his individual ability to be a outstanding owner from a cash investment and culture perspective and how much of it is just the fantastic decision he made to hire Andy Reid in 1999. And I think there's some, just on a very high level, pulling the win losses. Um, Reid's Eagles record is 130 93 and one? I remember the one,
0: I remember the one too. I remember where I was <laughs> at my friend's house when that happened, how pissed off everybody was.
1: I can't believe it happened again this year. <laughs> it's always the Bengals.
0: Um, it is, I mean, twice as always in this case.
1: Uh, I think that's maybe, I think there's maybe a, a case we made that that's the angel of death. For Eagles head coach is whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, there is an omen. When you,
0: when you see the Bengals kind of rotate <laughs> on your schedule, you get the cold sweats. <laughs> I think you just tank that game, right? You that? just throw it. You just throw that game. You say, yeah. I, I want no chance of time.
1: <laughs> oh, man. But uh, so Reed's Eagles record is 130, 93, and 1. And The non-Reed Eagles record under Jeffrey Lurie's stewardship of the franchise since 1994 is 105, 101, and 2 with the Super Bowl in 2017. So I understand maybe waiting the Super Bowl a little bit more, but 40 games above 500 is a heck of a lot better of a return than four games over 500. Or I'm sorry, not even three games because the because of the two half games with the ties. So, and just also for comparison's sake, Reed moves to a different franchise with a different media dynamic and a different ownership staff, a different culture, an opportunity for him to actually import and and kind of own culture top to bottom with kind of a more laissez-faire approach to ownership. Like I think by all accounts. Ownership in Kansas City has unilaterally trusted Andy Reid to just make a winner, and he trusted Dorsey and Reid to construct the team and run. Reid's Chiefs record is 91-28 and 28 with one Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, and another appearance.
1: That is 63 games above 500 in roughly roughly the same amount of time at this point. He'll finish his Chiefs career having coached them for longer than he coached the Eagles.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh you it can stay ahead of the Big Max. I agree. And I, I right now his his record is like positively Belichickian in
1: yeah. Kansas. So yeah. you have to wonder, like A, right, how much of Lurie's success is really just Reed's success by proxy. But also a flip side question, how much was Reed held back by decisions ownership and the front office made throughout his tenure here that he has no longer has to contend with being in a different ownership and media market in kansas city that i think by all accounts we we deem is pretty laissez-faire in comparison so all that to say the case i'm building up to is there's a very loud drumbeat of anti-roseman rhetoric in philly and i think rightly so but I'm going to start piling the table right now. My entire campaign for this next season is going to be the Jeff Lurie hot seat, and the fact that I need <laughs> more Philadelphians to stand up and oppose unjust religion. and toxic ownership from the top. I'm tired of. <laughs> I'm tired of just because we have a town that has other shitty owners that Jeffrey Lurie gets a pass by comparison when his stewardship of the franchise is also suspect and and I'm, and I'm tired of him being crowned as like the savior of the Eagles when his savior job took even 30 years to get one ring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, partially low expected, you know, kind of man dying of thirst in the desert will take any drop of water. Uh,
1: well yeah, but I mean but now we've got we've got our water. We've got our ring. We've yeah. got to elevate our standards at this point. And this is pathetic that we had lightning in the bottle that couldn't be sustained. And I think that for how good 2017 was, it brought out all of what's been bad. It's almost like the skeletons came out of the closet over the course of 2 years. Like everything this team does organizationally in the front office culture-wise just came out in full force after the surprise of one Super Bowl ring, you know? And I, I personally, I don't think that, I don't think that Peterson needed to be held to account that sternly for it. I don't think Carson Wentz needed to be held to account that sternly for it. I think the people that should have been held to account got away with it by controlling the narrative against both their head coach and their quarterback and making it seem like the front office and the ownership made all the right moves since 2017. It was just a quarterback that let them down through his toxic behavior combined with a inept head coach that couldn't rein him in. I think that was right. very much the narrative that the front office and ownership came to believe and wanted the rest of the market to believe. I think a lot of people are wiser than that, which is why the pressure is still put on Howie Roseman. But I also think you have to look one step beyond Roseman as well. Because ultimately, he, even he, no matter how lapdoggish and empowered he is, he's still accountable to the one source of power and culture in the organization, which is the owner.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I think we'll have a lot of fun times this season, kind of reiterating this point. If Sirianni ends up making us eat our words, we'll forget this conversation never happened. Uh, we'll delete it. But I think both no, us, no, 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 both no, 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 no. No, no, no. And, no
1: we're we're not deleting anything this year. It's already bad delete. enough that I didn't go back and listen to all your bad takes this year and hold you to account. <laughs> <laughs> bad takes. <laughs>
0: I, everything I said was right. I said,
1: right, I I love...
0: said Kingsbury was ugly and would never win a Super Bowl. Uh, I said that Tom Brady was the goat and would win. Uh, I said all sorts of really astute and smart things that I can definitely voice over again later if you need them.
1: Right. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that quarantine is ending so we can watch the Arizona parade in Scottsdale right. and fly out together.
0: I can't wait for my take about Devonta Smith being a combination of Randy Moss and Jerry Rice to come true as well. It's going to be great. For me.
1: Yeah. All the college football you watched is really, <laughs> you remember watching rice tape and you're like, God, Devonta Smith reminds me so much. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, but yeah, I, the, everything else, like I sort of, Like I said, it is like a blank slate. Um, You're right. It does have the aftertaste of Roseman. I think the stain of Larry all over it. It's going to be a hard uphill battle to climb. And and really, it's like, ultimately, it's a really high variant season for the birds. Like, they're relying on both hitting on young guys in this draft. You're trusting Roseman, the guy who had a hand in creating this mess to hit on a lot that he has not hit on in the past two or three years this year with the draft and free agency. And you're also hoping that the current young guys we have will find another level with Sirianni because right now I'm looking up and down the roster and philosophically, like we've discussed the Eagles value offensive line and defensive line and quarterback. Most they've built from the trenches. And I think that, you can make an argument that those are the three position groups that are the strongest on the team right now, in spite of everything. Even though we need depth at quarterback, we still have Jalen Hurts, who is a guy, right? Um, And we still have Lane Johnson. We got Brandon Brooks coming back. Kelsey's going to give one more run, but then we also got depth behind him. Both Mylata and um, Dillard, I think are serviceable left tackles. That offensive line is good enough to compete next year. And I would say same on the defensive line with Graham Cox um, and uh, and Javon Hargrave as well, coming back as long as like either Barnett or Sweat, if Barnett doesn't leave, if Sweat steps up, like those are, those are maybe not top five, top 10 units in the NFL, but those are good enough to not lose you games, you know? So to me, the rest of the, the rest of the roster and, and success not only hinges on papering in the holes and and uh and finding guys that can play but you're also hoping like rager takes a step up uh you're hoping that jalen mills takes a step up you're hoping that alex singleton takes a step up you are hoping nick gary takes a step up you're hoping yeah. every cornerback we have t- takes a step up you're hoping hightower you're hoping kez watkins you're hoping miles sanders you're hoping boston scott you're hoping dallas goddard right all this, these this guys the, yeah <laughs> like you're hoping all these guys find another level too. And, you know, if they do, I think the division's bad enough for them to be a potential playoff push. But, you know, that's the high end of the variance for next season. I think it's more likely they they wind up way below 500.
0: Right. For, for me, as a Giants fan who has had some really depleted rosters over the last couple of years, I know what it's like when you look at it and you're like, well, if the draft works out and the coach works out, and these six to eight positions of lead <laughs> workout, and nobody gets hurt. I think what happened, like some of these guys will will make the jump, but I think it's it will be counterbalanced by regression, either unexpected or expected. Like Fletcher Cox, is not going to hold up forever. He's a great player, but I think he's clearly already a little past his prime, and yep. you know he's won even nagging injury away I think from from kind of just being another good player and not a not a game changer um so it's it's just stuff like that I think I think the roster is really frankly bad and I think Sirianni has been put in a very difficult situation in this first season obviously I expect him to be given a decent amount of rope but I don't as of right now we're far away free agency hasn't happened and the draft hasn't happened but I'm I'm lower on the Eagles than any other team in the division by a good amount.
1: Yeah. Uh, The only reason I even throw out the top end of the variants could be a playoff push is just for my own sanity and hope as a fan. (laughs) Um, Sure. And it's football. Of course, I won... I want the young guys to be good. I want that that step up to happen for everyone. There were points of the season where I was texting you saying the reason why JJ Ortega whiteside side isn't good is just cuz he doesn't get targets, not because he's a bad player.
0: <laughs> that's definitely not the take that you had on the pod. That was really good take. And I still think day. that's true.
1: I'm really excited for Jalen Hurts to target him more <laughs> next year. He's right. going to be he's going to be a 5500 and 17 TD guy. I know it. <laughs>
0: You know, fifty five hundred is not like very good. <laughs> <I'm
1: not laughs> that is it's much better than what he is right now. That to me is um, like yeah. a very, a very adequate stat line for a guy that I think is more of a red zone body check guy than like an actual like dynamic playmaker at receiver. You know, and I'd be okay but, with that if if that was like- if that's what JJ Arthega Whiteside brings to the team next year instead of getting cut. I will be ecstatic.
0: <laughs> Those are like mid 2000 tight end numbers. Those are like Heath Miller numbers or something. Yeah.
1: And I, I think that that is a very good stat line for the fourth wide receiver that gets thrown in on red zone plays. You know? Okay. <laughs> I, if J.J. Arthago 8 side outperforms. Heath Miller in 2007. I consider next year a success.
0: All right, we're gonna look up Heath Miller. He probably Heath Miller probably went off in 2007.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Set new career highs for touchdowns. Oh my God, this is actually almost perfect. Seven touchdowns, forty-seven receptions, five hundred and sixty-six
1: yards. I'm this, telling you, that's what he was like. That's all I need from him. That's all I need for him—not for it to be a validated second-round pick, just for him to be be, have a contract in the NFL. That is all I need from JJ Arthanga Whiteside. Building blocks.
0: Cross cross the Miller line. Okay. That's, that's a line. good one
1: in the sand right now. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for reminding me it's not a good stat line. Essentially when we <laughs> could have drafted <clears throat> DK Metcalf. <laughs> Do you know DK What's us look at DK Metcalf? <laughs> he had DK Metcalf, I think I think had two Heath Millers in one season last year.
0: Yeah, he uh, more, more than that. Yeah, eighty Al- eighty three receptions, thirteen hundred yards, and ten TDs. Uh, so the so, TDs are just fine, but yeah, still thirteen hundred <laughs> yards. I mean, when's the last time an Eagles Some, receiver had somewhere
1: somewhere between one and a half and two Heath Millers in one season? DK Metcalf <laughs> right. was able to pump out last year with right. future Dow- Dallas Cow- Cowboys quarterback Russell Wilson. Oh yes, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, since we did start talking about the Cowboys, let's do a quick kind of around the rest of the league. We wanted to give a balance to the Eagles just because they've been the most active for better or worse team so far in the off season. But I think it'd be fun to do a little bit of like a feast or famine with the rest of the rest of the teams in the division. So like if they feast next year, why, if they famine next year, why? Um, And I think we can do both for both. Like let's give like a, like a positive spin on the teams and like the neg like if it goes well what what went well if it goes bad what went bad for that team right so i guess let's let's start with the giants so if if things go well how do they feast like what 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 are they feasting on
0: yeah it's gonna be a power run game supplemented by a, a newly rejuvenated offensive line that's young and mean um a healthy saquon barkley comes back and suddenly you have the league's sneakiest, fastest quarterback, Daniel Jones, kind of taking up scrambles and getting those those planned yards on um, on rollouts and what have you. Uh, that's really the identity. And, and the defense stays, I think, reasonably about as good as it was this year. You know, I don't think they're going to have a great passing game. They don't have the weapons. Nobody in free agency really interests me. Um, Curtis Samuel is not going to move the needle. Don't kid yourself. Uh, so I think for them, it's going to come down to the actual fulfillment of Gettleman's vision, which is just running the ball between the tackles, being mean, kind of a a a twenty fourteen Dallas Cowboys style ball control situation, led by none other than our boy.
1: You have the mastermind. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I,
0: I, I do think that's the bill
1: Yeah i I think. We were texting a little bit about this, like, earlier, and I think you hit the nail on the head, where this team is really designed to do one thing, which is run through Saquon Barkley, and they couldn't do that all of last year. So I do think that they're a few pieces away from being... Like, let's say in this hypothetical universe, Saquon Barkley goes down with another ACL injury and his career is over next year, even if they don't have Saquon. Um, I think they're still... Like they can they, they can sign a receiver or two and then throw the rest of their picks at offensive line and front seven on the defense, and I think be still better than six and ten next year. Um I think their problem is is that because Daniel Jones is not a top ten quarterback in the NFL, they need Saquon Barkley to be the blue chip like space creator let's say yeah. in the offense for the rest of it to work at a high enough level to like carry them to 10 11 wins and maybe a playoff run you know yeah. um otherwise it's looking more like a rough but chippy uh like eight and eight nine and seven pushing 10 and 16 with just daniel jones and that defense again for me Provided, yeah, totally. provided the rest of the team also gets better at the positions we expect them to get better at. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I think you know we're a Wayne Gallman podcast, always have been, but <laughs> there's no doubt Saquon provides big playability. That the, that the offense just completely lacks outside of him. Don't give yeah. me this Evan Ingram nonsense. Like it, it all depends. If you want a home run hitter, it's Saquon Barkley, and I think he's capable of that. I don't think you necessarily need that to come from a wide receiver. So make that work. You know, he should be catching 60 passes this year, Mm -hmm. running the ball, you know, 300 times, just feed the guy and see if you can't see if you can't make him carry you
1: to the finish line. Yeah. I used space creator for a reason because I think all he needs is to show what he can do 15 to 20 plays in a game, just by being a bully that no one wants to tackle to then force the defenses into respecting him and opening up space for other players on the offense. Because I think, you know, like, that offense has other players in it that can be productive. And Daniel Jones is good enough to get the ball to him, to them. But Daniel Jones is not dynamic enough of a, a field reader or a mover himself to create that space for his own players with his eyes, his arm... Anything else. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean Jones, I think my my vision for Jones this year is somebody who we have option plays where the defense is overplaying on Barkley and then Jones can just take off. Yeah. You know, like a little bit of disguise stuff, a little bit of pulling the handoff back and figuring something else out. I don't think Jones is a pocket passer and we just have to we just have to stop pretending he is, you know, it just it's just not his identity and that's okay. We can work around that given what else we have, but you have to be willing to work around it for it to work.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, let's, uh, let's move to Washington. How do they feast and how do they famine?
0: Yeah, I think we both know how, uh, how Washington feasts. It's a repeat of the defense, and I think this defense has the potential, as scary as it is, to actually take the next step and yeah. hit that level. At their best, they could be a truly like legendary unit. Like one of the best defenses of the decade, I think. In terms of their context within the division, they had the best um defense regarding scoring drives, like letting the other team score points. Uh Dallas had the worst, if you're wondering. Uh they blitz the most, which I love, you know. You got if you're a Steve Spagnuolo guy, yeah. you gotta like that. Um and then they allowed the worst passer rating. They're just an absolute menace on quarterbacks because of the pressure that they can generate. And I don't see that changing. I think their front, their their defensive line is stacked. They'll probably get Ioannidis back. I'll need to look into that. But um, I just think they have a great, a potential to be a great defensive unit. The offense, I don't know how that becomes serviceable, really, unless Heineke is a dude. But I honestly am not sure it really matters. I think the offense could be a four out of 10, and they could still make the playoffs.
1: I don't know about that. I hear you on the defense, and I, I'm I'm similarly bullish to you. It boils down to the same thing. Like I think that if they if they're amazing, they're carried by their defense. If they suck, it's because their offense can't transcend how good how bad they are to help their defense out. I think that the rest of the division is going to get better next year. So I don't know just much just how much having a good defense matters against better offenses next year um like i know i know that there's the russell wilson rumors in dallas but even if Dak comes back right um or even just like another year with dalton not being thrown into the backup role right like i i think that the dallas offense is going to have more juice than it did last year for all 16 games right and like i don't know whether like like let's say Washington's defense is good enough for them to win two games against Dallas, just because the matchup is in their favor, right? If they can't also win a lot of their out-of-division games, and Dallas's offense is able to coast through a lot of their out-of-division games, then it almost doesn't matter. You wind up with Dallas getting 10 wins, and Washington getting, like, 8. You know? Yeah. Um, so, like, I, that's the biggest concern to me is because of how much they seem to be leaning on their defense. Plus I, you know, I think, I think we do have to talk about this a bit more is Washington even ready to be a good team just culturally and just their fans, you know, like, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Can can we talk about this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I, that sounds like I want to just like dunk on a fan base that is not my own, but. I think there's something to be said that like, you know, as much as I'm saying like Lurie and his effect on the oeuvre of the Eagles around just the players having their roster affects their ability to win games. Like, I don't know whether Washington under Snyder with the, with the fans they have glorifying RG3 (laughs) and Deshaun Jackson still on their subreddit. Like they're not ready. They're not ready for the best defense of the past two decades
0: this is is something that i brought that i that i'm kind of cultivating as a take as well if you go to the washington football team subreddit there are so many weird posts that are like i made like like it'll be like a screenshot of sean taylor in madden 2004 being like the good old days and you're like this is like you won the division dude like (laughs) like you're in the driver's seat and like you're still just like looking out the rear view mirror, like wistfully for days that honestly were bad. The shock Taylor <laughs> team were not good football teams. Like, uh, I just, I, and, and, and I'll pile on my own team here. You go to the New York Giants subreddit. The big movement lately has been posting old cool hats of the franchise. <laughs> this is not the mentality of a fan base that expects to win That thinks they can win, is hungry to win. I don't want to say that carries over into the actual team play, but I am gonna say that. I think that it's just like (laughs) what the fans what the fans sense and expect does matter. And neither the Giants nor the Redskins fan base is like really, I think, practically think they have a real shot here.
1: I I I do think the fans matter to the performance of the team. Like sports are ultimately I actually do too. Like sports are ultimately a, a, like an audience driven spectacle. Like it's like watching any live event with an audience. You know what I mean? Like the players are in essence performing every week for the attention of the media and the fans in their town and what the fans say and what the media say about their performances matter you know cuz they're not only accountable to their coach they're accountable for every what to everyone they're playing for you know, you know what i mean and like i don't know like i hope i hope that washington all of our washington fan friends that listen to us every week i hope this doesn't light a fire under their butt and and force them to be a little bit better as and more engaged fans but Hey, I think I think we need to expect more out of them too. If they want their team to take, them. like, they can't be apathetic. Like they've been apathetic, and they can't be wistful. Like they've been wistful yeah. for for Sean yes. Taylor's one hit in the Pro Bowl. Like that's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think
0: it's not even. I don't think it's like even truly apathy. I think it's just like this weird cynicism that comes through as a form of nostalgia you know you have to live in the past because the present offers nothing yeah you know it's a uh, springsteen man it's glory days you have to consider <laughs> when times were good because it's too painful to contemplate pr- the present so yeah
1: and i feel uh, i feel for people it, stuck it's just, in that I'm, noticing <laughs> yeah i i listen i was an eagles fan in 1998 i know what that feels like uh like i i i i feel bad but it's just is that is everyone around the Washington football team ready to make the jump to being a contender? I don't know. I know Chase Young is, but he's one guy, you know, and and I think yeah. that there's I think the offense needs to step up a lot more. Um I like Rivera as a coach, but you know, can he really be be the guy to to make over all of Washington? Not just their players, but their fans, ownership, everything else. Cuz I think that's the one thing Hold, or that's what's holding them back ultimately and honestly like I, I'm bearish on that because I have Washington fans texting me very bullish on next year after they watched a 7-9 team get beat in the first round by the eventual champions because it was the eventual champions they lost to and I'm just yeah. like I I do not care you're a 7-9 team in a one round playoff exit in the worst division in, in the sport Taylor Heineke deserves all the credit in the world for not having his butt handed to him that game. I understand there's a, there's a reason to be proud of that performance, but next year is okay. next year.
0: Yeah. He wasn't like, like, let's be honest. He was okay.
1: Yeah. Next year, he next year true. is next year. And and I think the circumstances will be changed. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't expect Washington to win the division next year. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Let's close out with the Cowboys. Uh, how do they feast and how do they famine?
0: Uh, I think the Cowboys just feast by being healthy in a really bad division, and they have they have the. I I hope you. I know that you're usually the Cowboys pessimist. I guess we're both Cowboys pessimists, but you're well. Really I'm a Cowboys, Cowboys
1: hater, but I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I think they win the division next year.
0: Yeah, I think to that me, they are.
1: Yeah,
0: relatively loaded. Relatively being the key term, but they have the best. Like, if you look at the division, they probably have the best quarterback, the best wide receiver core, the best running back core, because they have Tony Pollard, you know, contender for offensive line. The offense is stacked and the defense has some names and I think it will just be a matter of coaching them up and making them adequate. So that's how they feast.
1: Yep. I think, I mean, just to give, I'll try to give this in feast and famine terms, but I'm still a Cowboys hater. I still think that I can't believe I, I just ruined my journalistic integrity by saying that. I can't believe I... that. I have a... I am a, <laughs> I'm a Cowboys pessimist. um, And I do think again, culturally and like, like they will be held back from rings for as long as Jerry Jones is the owner of that team. I'm fully convinced. Or I even agree. just general manager. But I do think that next year is one of those you know, like the changing seasons, the NFC East goes through cycles, you know? And I do think it's one of those years where what makes the Cowboys bad doesn't make them worse than why every other team in the division is bad. Does that make sense? (laughs) Like they have, they're in pole position and every other team has bigger systemic issues than just like being held back by their inept management and owner from being a winning team with a winning mentality, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. The Cowboys issues are much more abstract. It's more a matter of culture or discipline or, you know, maybe even coaching playmaking type stuff, but on paper, they are the best team in the division and it's not especially close. And this is unlike most, like every year, the pundits on paper say the Cowboys are the best team in the division. Most years, I don't agree. But this year, I think it's clear they have they have the most elite talent as long as they can stay healthy and not totally have a belt down. They they have to be the contenders.
1: Yeah. So if they feast, I think it's because uh, everything they have constructed the team to do does what they plan to do. And if they famine, it's because Dak Prescott breaks a leg again and they have to scramble to integrate Andy Dalton during a pandemic ridden season. And uh, the defense yep. still can't stop a nosebleed. Like that's like, and, and I do think they're they're already on the on the road to fixing their defense. Uh, um, they hired Dan Quinn. I expect them to invest draft capital in the defense next year. Like even just pushing their pass defense up from bottom ten to like mid league by just like yeah. maybe maybe drafting one good nickel corner. Or something, right? Will position their defense in a way to not be blown out and get their offense into boat races and probably win two to three more games this year. Which to me is like, I think the winner of this division, I think the watermark improves. I don't think anyone in this division is a 12-win team. But I, I think that 10 to 11 wins probably wins the division this year. And I think that the Cowboys are probably the closest sure bet to getting to 10 to 11 wins.
0: Yeah yeah i think the cowboys famine if jerry reese takes one too many johnny walkers goes on the wrong radio show after a loss and says something insane which could happen you never know (laughs) but uh i will say you look at the cowboys subreddit and they aren't posting about emmett smith they aren't posting about that's a fan base that's ready they're They're ready (laughs) there's a difference dude there's a
1: difference and I, th- you know, I think it's because they've listened to the rest of the league hold them to account for being nostalgic over the past five years, <laughs> right?
0: Right. Um,
1: yeah, I think I think uh, the more Cowboys fans I talk to, the more realistic they've become about their team since the thirteen and three, like Dak, Zeke, and like also yeah, Sunsetty yeah. Tony Romo era, where I think they legitimately thought. They had Super Bowl contenders like they did in the nineties and they were just like let down. I think they've retooled. I think they have a more realistic assessment on, on what their team is and what it isn't at this point. I, I don't know. I think I think I think that they're ready. I think the only thing that can hold them back is Jerry Jones. Um and I ultimately I think the rest of the teams are so bad it doesn't even matter. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think I think the omen will hold true. There are no Cowboys fans posting my player versions of Tony Romo who's like 6'8 with 99 speed with the <laughs> caption, what if dot dot dot. <laughs> Nothing like that.
1: <laughs> it's just incredible because it's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know that stuff is being produced somewhere in Cowboys, <laughs> Cowboys land. I'm sure some like 13-year-old on Discord is starting screenshots of that shit. The difference <laughs> is that it doesn't get upvoted. It doesn't get yeah. surface to the top.
0: Like... Right. <laughs> It's not a group sickness. Yeah. (laughs) It's
1: just, yeah, it's just like one bored teenager, you know, versus in Washington. It's like, this is the coolest thing we could be talking about right now. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh. (laughs) No, I totally get it. So, I mean, kind of sussing it out. um, I guess in my head this year, like, I I think the Eagles are clearly the worst team Uh, or at least in the worst position, given what we know about the team at this point. And I think that the giants and Washington kind of live on like a equal tier, you know, Uh, maybe Washington has a little bit of an edge just because they do have one proven element in their team, which is their defense, particularly the defensive line versus the giants have, question marks everywhere but have maybe more of like a sure plan to make them not question marks next year and I think Dallas is just like the story of that team last year is just like I think it's more misfortune and a, and like too much change too quickly than yeah. it is some sort of systemic issue with the roster as it was constructed where it, it would have been hard for them to be a really good team in a pandemic year with a new head coach, even if everyone stayed healthy for the entire year. But then that middle of the season lull, I think really hurt them. But I mean, they bounced back and pushed towards the end. Like we almost had to uncross them off at some point.
0: <laughs> the watermelon slash smashing vibes. <laughs> <do>.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm very well,
0: scared about, about what incarnation that takes on next.
1: I'll have to, I'll have to try and network in and just try to see if there's any bulk watermelon orders coming to Dallas right. in time for training camp. If there's right. if there's more than fifty watermelons being shipped up to uh, the Fort Worth area in around August this year, I'm going to start to be really concerned.
0: But here's my: I, Do you think the watermelon effect could work again? I feel like the players the players have to go. If Mike McCarthy is out there <laughs> smashing watermelons again, the players have to be like, okay. I do think there's a way to escalate it and that's if he does it like, bigger naked watermelons or with body paint or something. <laughs> like if he like just goes like if he goes like full-on like insane mode <laughs> i think it could translate but you need to, you need to elevate them. bigger watermelons is, okay so here's
1: is here's scraper. my question to you for the next yeah. off-season pod um do you want to do like what you suggested earlier Which was uh like redrafting like an all like past twenty years NFC East team. Or do you want to hypothesize the sixteen ways Mike McCarthy will have to one up (laughs) himself every week (laughs) using water eleven base motivational tactics? You might have to do the second one.
0: All right. We're doing, we're doing the second one. We're doing the second one. <laughs> that- that's a bit. We're I've already got, I've already got more ideas.
1: <laughs> All right. Putting these
0: in the sheet now.
1: <laughs> we'll have to figure it out. Uh, no takes this week. We just wanted to check in and give our current thoughts on where everything is. We, like we said, we have some stuff where we're trying to come up with that we think will be fun for the off season one. Nothing's happening. If you have any feedback, send us mailbag stuff, nfcleasemailbag at com. I'm starting to throw together some Twitter accounts and everything like that. We want to try and get you guys more engaged this, this season. Uh, so look out for that coming up. I'll certainly let all of the listeners know once that happens. I guess until the next time we decide to spend three weeks trying to wrangle each other into a pod and record it. Uh, <laughs> until then, I'll see you, buddy.
0: Sounds good, pal. Talk soon.